called the king of the New Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. All right, we're ready to get going here. We are going to pick up where we left off in the middle of Romans chapter 15. We're making progress. We're getting to the end of the book. Now let's go to the Lord and ask him for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious truths that we've been learning verse by verse through this awesome book. And we thank you for the word of God didn't originate with any man. It doesn't come from earth, but from heaven. These words are God-breathed and they're they're sharp like a two-edged sword as you describe it, able to cut down and get into the deep places that really matter, make some changes changes so that we could be more like Christ, to be who we've always dreamed of being, the people of God, the person God has destined us to be, wants us to be. It's only possible, Lord, by your word and obeying it and receiving it. So help us to do that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever worked for a boss or had a supervisor who only seemed to know how to correct and instruct, but not how to affirm and encourage? Anybody out there? (laughs) Well, I worked for, let's go ahead and tell you, Pepsi for a few years there. And um, while the guys there, they work really, really hard. I found lots of physical labor involved, a lot of Uh, hustle and bustle for sure. There was a supervisor that we all had to deal with and had a notorious reputation for zoning in on the negative at the expense of anything positive. For example, a driver could open a new account or resolve an issue with a vendor or find ways uh, to make routes more efficient but never any word of acknowledgement about an accomplishment, any affirmation. You only heard from the man if there was an issue or needed correction of some kind, no matter how petty the problem. And so it wasn't that the correction wasn't necessary or valid. It was really um, what put a strain on the relationship was that there was no affirmation, no mention of all the good things that were happening. And so when that kind of thing happens, there's a relational strain. You know, the bridge is kind of burned and the supply line can't get through. And so that's not a good thing. He used to say stuff like, I'm not here to be your best friend. Uh, I'm here to make sure the job gets done right. 
Anybody want to work for him here? Yeah, no. Maybe that philosophy works for you in the world, but it shouldn't and must not in the kingdom of God. No matter if you're a parent or a teacher or anybody who's discipling somebody, you know, it's kind of like you got to make the deposits of affirmation for the time when you need to withdraw and make a correction or have an awkward conversation. And so even Mary Poppins knows that (laughs) a spoonful of sugar really does help the medicine go down in the most... You've heard about this. Very good. Now, the Apostle Paul has just uh, kind of given some pretty strong medicine, instruction, and correction. And now it's time to bring in the balance. And he's going to, we're going to pick back up here at verse 14 with a word of affirmation. Some of the good things. Now, I myself am convinced, verse 14, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I've written you, yeah, quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a servant, a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations, to non-Jewish people. That's what Gentiles means. With the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles, that all people everywhere, might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We're going to park there. We are working our way through uh, chapter 15. We're going to make it down to verse 24, Lord willing, today. And, and here's our task. Our task is to really glean some insights as we kind of um, hear what's going on here is Paul is about to conclude the letter. And so as some scholars point out, the great exposition, chapters 1 through 11, they're over. The great exposition means he, he unpacked what it means to be saved. Justification by faith. We're saved by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone. And that's done, 1 through 11. And then in chapters 12 through 15, verse 13, right up here, we're starting a new section. The last section that ended was called the great exhortation. And that means in light of all the mercy that we've received, what does God expect of us as new creations in Christ, all of those moral uh, exhortations that we received. And some of that was pretty strong medicine, some strong correction to the Roman Christians. And now starts the end of the letter, what is called the benediction. It's going to begin with some personal comments and then some greetings in chapter 16. Now, his personal comments as he concludes the letter Uh, are about them and about his views on ministry and his future plans. And the reason these things are so important because it's the Apostle Paul speaking. And when you see how he thinks about ministry, his worldview should be our worldview. What he thinks about the gospel, the priorities, the methodologies, how he feels about his own ministry, all these things matter because the Bible says that whatever things we see or have heard or learned or received from Paul, we need to put into practice. And the God of peace, 
Here's the promise. When we do that, when we imitate what we can glean from Paul, who's following Christ, that the God of peace will be with us. Anybody really want the God of peace to move a little closer to you? Amen? Then we need to kind of analyze everything we're about to read about the Apostle Paul, how he thinks, how he feels, how he does ministry, and imitate that. And there's a promise that more peace will be coming our way. And so the first thing I want to say is is that he's, uh, what we can observe is that Paul is bold with the truth, but he's sensitive in relationships. So he's well-balanced. He knows how to uh, bring a hard word, but he also knows the importance of uh, affirming all of the good as well. And so that's something I would note right away. Let's talk about that. He says, I, now it's kind of a quasi-apology. He's checking in. He's thinking, maybe I came on too strong. He says, verse 15, I've written you quite boldly. I get it. I've been correcting you. I've been uh, saying some really strong things about you. And sometimes that causes an offense. And he knows how important it is not to offend people. Uh, sometimes you can't help it. Yeah, the, uh, the truth hurts sometimes, uh, but mature Christians are pretty good and appreciate even when the truth steps on their toes, they appreciate it because it's the truth that gets us unstuck when we're stuck. It's the truth, Jesus said, that will set your heart free. And so it's the truth, by the way, that saves us. And so to hear the truth is very important, and and that's one of the reasons why he says, I had to speak to you quite boldly on some points. Now it's time to, he's probably thinking, man, did did I use a driver when I should have used the pitching wedge to borrow some terms from golf? Uh, Did I come on a little bit too strong. He's kind of testing the waters. He's coming back, kind of uh, just checking in with them and wanting them to know, yes, I corrected you, but here's how I see some really good things. And this is so important for us to kind of copy. And so he says, I've spoken quite boldly. Yes, I know. The word boldly there means in the Greek, it means risky or audacious or daring. Yeah, I dare to say to you things like about your personal opinions, keep them to yourself. They're your personal convictions. Are you going to, and he's, I'm quoting him, are you going to destroy the work of God because of your personal opinions about something that differs from a brother for whom Christ died? Are you going to abuse your Christian liberty, take advantage of somebody and cause a weaker brother to stumble in their faith? Yeah, that, those are all the, the bold statements that he's referring to there in verse 15. He said, you know, you can't pull punches. You have to come out and say there's a lot on the line because spiritual truths have eternal ramifications. And so Paul is somebody who's not going to hold back the truth, even when it's hard to hear. But he also knows he has enough common sense and enlightenment from the Holy Spirit to affirm the positive. And so that's what's going on here. 
He's going to affirm them. He's going to, I hope I didn't come on too strong. He's going to say, hey, uh, I know some things about you. And he affirms them in three different ways in that first opening verse. It's interesting. He says, he starts out in verse 14. He says, I myself. Why does he uh, use the, the emphatic form of I, which means I, myself, it's me. It's me, the very person who just had some serious concerns, the same person sees some serious good in you. When you're getting corrected, you tend to think, do, do they not understand am I a total failure? You know, that, that I do know some things, that I do have my act together in a lot of areas. And that's the tendency. So he wants them to know, hey, no, I see some good stuff. And here's the list. He says, I know that, that your church is full of goodness. The word means kindness. When there's a need in your fellowship, everybody jumps up to meet it. You guys are generous souls. There's a lot of warmth. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of practical, kind deeds to one another. That's what he means. He says, uh, this is what I know to be true about your church. You have good deeds coming out of your ears. Now, I don't know how that's possible to have good deeds coming out of your ears, but all right, moving on. Uh, they are also complete in uh, knowledge. He says, you guys get it. I'm not telling you things that you don't know, and you're not sitting there going, does he think I don't know this? Of course, I, I know this stuff. He's saying, I'm telling you this to remind you. And so he says, you're complete in knowledge. That means you know how the Christian life works. You know who Christ is. You know why Christ died. You know how to get uh, saved and to see your sins washed away and be reconciled to God. You, you understand all of that. And you're competent to instruct one another. This is interesting. He's saying, listen, God has given each Christian a gift, something you're really good at, for the purpose of encouraging the body, other Christians in the church. And he says, I see and I know, I recognize and affirm, you guys got it together being your brother's keeper. You guys walk together and love. You pray together. You disciple one another. You're shoring up each other's weaknesses. Uh, you're guiding and counseling. In short, they're providing pastoral care for one another, and that's the concept there. And this is a big shocker to some Christians. What are there, 700, 800 people who would call The Rock their church home? You have four full-time pastors. That's not going to work. God designed churches to where you have elders and pastors that lead, but that every Christian is responsible to each other to bring what they're good at to kind of shepherd in your sphere of influence. When you see somebody kind of adrift, it's your job. I have no idea. I have no clue. I would love to be involved, but I'm not there. I don't know about it. You know about it. You're there. God puts you there to make a difference. You know, I would love to witness to that guy at work, at your work. But, you know, they'd call security <laughs> and toss me out, right? 
because it's your responsibility. And the Bible says the church is like a human body. God makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing full of love, Ephesians chapter 4. And so now he's affirmed them. He says, I see the good. You're in good shape. Now, maybe they're saying, then why did you have to write to us? Why are you telling us all those hard words? You're admonishing us, instructing us, and exhorting us. And he says, well, there's two reasons for that. Number one, in part, we all need reminding. This is the problem. Our souls are like uh, pockets with holes, little holes in the bottom. And so it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Things go into the, the soul and that somehow it drains out. It's like a slow leak in a tire, right? And, and you know, ask yourself. You can serve the Lord 20 years and see God answer a lot of prayers and work on your behalf. And what happens at the sight of another difficulty or adversity, suddenly, where is God? What are we going to do? I'm all anxious, right? As if God hasn't taught you anything in the last 20 years or shown you his faithfulness. Why? Because we, get, we have spiritual amnesia. We're always forgetting every little thing. And every single present trial seems to erase all the faithfulness of the past and all the spiritual lessons go flying out the window when suddenly we are faced with some kind of challenge. Why? What do we need? That's why we have church every week. That's why you read your Bible every day because you need to be reminded. And he says, listen, yeah, I know you guys got it together in these three beautiful areas. And, and the reason I have to remind you and say hard truths to you is because we all need to be reminded. Verse 15, I'm doing it to remind you. Now listen, you know, would it be nice to know uh, somebody was talking to me, quite a few, about the recent high school closing, the Christian high school that's closing. And, and, and they were all undone. And I said, you know, God probably saw this coming and, and God probably has a plan. And God probably will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him. You guys love him. So even this is going to bring about your best interest. So isn't it nice to be able to rest in that? And they said, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> well, yeah. How many of you were thinking this morning when you woke up that you have an enemy called the devil that you can't see who is bent on destroying you and your life and taking advantage of every little weakness in you to absolutely shipwreck, humiliate you, and destroy you? The Bible says... Be on your guard. You have an enemy. He prowls about the pews of the rock in Santa Rosa, Rosa just looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Amen. Well, yeah. Thanks for the reminder, right? <laughs> because you forgot about that. A lot of people just go through their Christian life. Duh, you know? And... Uh, <laughs> They need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. And that's why he's telling them these things. And so 
Verse 16, secondly, says, yeah, I'm reminding you, okay, I'm not accusing you of not having it together or not knowing these things, but it's by way of reminder. The second thing, he kind of goes Jewish on us for a minute. Uh, <laughs> verse 16, he's going to go to a priestly service analogy of what Christians do in Christian ministry. So he's going to say this. Uh, think of it this way, and I'm paraphrasing there, uh, verse 16. He says, I'm like a Jewish high priest in the temple, offering gifts to God on the altar, but instead of offering incense or a sacrifice, I'm offering you the fruit of my ministry, people who I've been uh, sharing the gospel with. That's the fruit of my Labors, and I offer that my work is to please God, so I offer what I'm doing you to the Lord on the altar, and I want it to be acceptable and pleasing in your verse that it's an offering acceptable to God, one that the Holy Spirit could take those people and set them apart to do his will. So he says, because of the nature of the work, that every Christian is called to, because he calls us a royal priesthood in 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, why are you a royal priesthood? All it means to be a priest is to connect the sinner with God, with the rescue, to be the mediators, to take somebody's hand and say, hey, I want to introduce you to God, and you have this need, and God has this answer for you, and bring them together and work to keep that relationship healthy and vital and close. That's what priests do. Now, he says, I want to offer that person I'm sharing the gospel with to God, and I want God to say, hey, good job. So therefore, I don't pull punches, and I speak boldly when I have to speak boldly. And yes, I, I tell people uh, some good things in the affirmation. I take great care in not holding back the truth because I want God to accept the offering of the fruit of my labors. And so what would it be like if in a seeker-sensitive church that pulls the punches, that keeps the offensive truths away so that they can grow a church, and then you present that, those people to God on the altar who aren't even saved, who don't even know how to be born again, nothing. But they're in the church because you were seeker-sensitive enough to leave out the parts about hell and repentance and, and, and needing to be holy. I was working at a Lutheran school down in Los Angeles while I was getting my master's degree. And, uh, oh man, this is a long time ago. The kids were babies. And it was a summer program, and I started talking to one of the workers there who had grown up in that church. She was 18 years old. As she said, my family and my family's family before them, everybody's gone to this church. I've been in this church. I practically was born here. Oh, I've been in every single service, man, for 18 years. And I said, oh, well, when did you come to the Lord? When did you get saved? And she goes, what? And I said, well, when were you born again? When, you know, she goes, born again. And I said, 
okay. And I explained it to her. Then I went, made an appointment with her pastor. I sat across from the pastor and I said, I am here to bring you every pastor's worst nightmare. There is a girl in your church who grew up here 18 years. She's been in every Bible study. She's been in every service. She's volunteered here. This is her name. Oh, yes. We know that family forever. She's been here. And guess what? She's not saved. She doesn't have a relationship with God. She doesn't know what the phrase born again means. She has no clue. I asked her, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And she didn't know she was unclear. He says, I pull no punches. Yeah, I speak boldly, daring, risking to say, hey, brother, you live like this, you're not going to make it. Yes, and then I come around and I say some things that I see that you're doing right because I want to keep that relationship good, but I'm, I'm going to speak boldly because of the nature of the work of the calling of every Christian, not just Paul. That's why you have to make sure they're well-loved, well-taught, well-informed. You can't set somebody up for a failure because you're leaving out the awkward, offensive parts of the gospel. Leave that to God. Leave that to God. God will take care of that. As you speak the truth in love, that's God's business. Then you wash your hands, you're clean, right? This is what he's saying here. It's because of the nature of the task. You know, it's important. Bad behavior and bad theology will destroy the work of God. And if that's going to happen, it's not going to come because of Paul. He's going to tell it uh, like it is. And so, verse 17, he says, Now about this ministry God's given me, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus, verse 17, Romans 15, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God, Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading people to obey God by what I have said and done. Two things. 19, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem, the birthplace, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends, the church is born in Jewish hearts and lives. That's the birthplace, Jerusalem, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is modern-day Albania, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Let's talk about this. And I hope, note-takers, you're just kind of analyzing what uh, things you observe in the life of Paul that we're going to implement in our own lives. So he speaks boldly about some points. He affirms the good in people. And now Paul understands Christian uh, ministry, right? And, and he, he knows that he understands it's not what he's doing for God. It's what God is doing through him. Nobody can do a great thing for God. Oh, God, let me do this for you. That's kind of a poor way of thinking, you want God to be able to, to work through your efforts as you cooperate with him. I think that makes all the difference in the world. So 
Note takers here before you now, Paul's assessment of his own service to God. It's such a valuable assessment indeed. Uh, So number one, he says, it's an incredible honor to be an apostle, to speak the gospel, to uh, plant churches all over the world. He says, um, to join Jesus in his work to seek and save the lost. And And he says, you know what? I glory in Christ Jesus. Here's what that means in verse 17. It means I'm overjoyed in Christ, about Christ, about what God is doing through my meager efforts. Uh, If he lived in Santa Cruz, and if it were maybe the 80s and he liked to surf, uh, I glory in Christ would be I'm super stoked in Jesus. Uh, That's really what it means. You, You could get away with saying that um, I am, I'm proud of what Christ is doing through me. And, and he's going to talk about what that uh, constitutes now. So verse 18, he says, number one, and number one with all of us should be, I will not even dare, the word venture there in verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except, he's saying, I will not dare. I would never dare to attribute to my own efforts anything God has accomplished through me. We could take a good look at that. Our education, our degrees, our bank accounts, our retirement, and all of that stuff. The people we've, we've affected for the Lord, the impact our lives, our skills, our abilities, our talents. What do you have, Paul asked the Corinthians, that you haven't received from God as a blessing? The answer, nothing. That every good and perfect gift comes down from God. Do you see? So Paul says, I would never dare. They know what kind of ministry he's had. He's impacted the whole world. Everybody knew the apostle Paul. And he said, but just so you know, I know my part and I know his part. I'm the hands, I'm the feet, I'm the mouth, but the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work, bringing the life and making all this good uh, stuff happen. And so he says, I wouldn't dare (laughs) to get the two things mixed up. And that's so hard to do because, you know, we want to say, well, I work hard for that. Well, yeah, you know what? You did work hard at cooperating with your blessing that came down from heaven. God will do so much more for you and through you when you're able to see it all coming from him and you just a very uh, glad recipient of God's good graces and mercy. Amen. That's hard to do, but uh, Paul the Apostle seems to be able to do it. He had some help. He said, you know, to help me, because I know God's using me in great ways, but to keep me grounded, he gave me a thorn in my flesh. He tells the Corinthians, he says, it's some kind of satanic problem that I asked God to take away from me three times, and, and the Lord said, hey, my grace is enough. I'm using this to anchor you down. He's writing scripture, he's planning churches, he's gonna write 13 New Testament books, and God says, dude, I gotta help you with this. So he stays humble. The word humble comes from the word dirt, ground, to put ourselves on the basement floor, and he says, in due time, God will lift you up. The second thing I want you to notice here 
is what he says. He says, my ministry is to lead people to obey Christ. Wow. He doesn't say, in my ministry to lead people to believe in God, which is true, and that's how you're saved. And he doesn't say, in my ministry leading to, to help people put their faith in the Lord. He doesn't say that. He says, in my ministry, the gospel, to help people obey God. Why is, why is, he cuts to the chase of what is the evidence and proof of genuine uh, salvation. Is anybody can say, oh, I believe, I have faith in God. And a million times a million people say they are Christians and they believe in God, but they're not. And so what he's saying is the proof that you have saving faith is a changed life of moral transformation where you begin to obey God's moral co commands. Jesus is the one who said, anybody who says they love me will keep my commands. And so he cuts to the chase there. Uh, James says, you know, you do know the demons believe and they have sound doctrine. The demons believe there's one God. They're monotheistic demons. <laughs> They're not going to heaven. So it's more than your intellectual ascent. I believe there is a God. Trusting in God will evidence new birth that obeys. That's the only way you can check whether or not you got the real Deal, and he continues to go on. I love this, note this. This is how he sees impacting anyone for Christ. The end of verse 18b says, two components to ministry for all of us is your words and your deeds. There are two different sides of the same coin of ministry. And you got to have both of them working. That's why they're met, both mentioned there. Now, there are some people who say, you know, I'm not much for talking. I don't tell people. I understand that. Uh, but I love people to Jesus. Well, you know what? I, I mean, they may die tomorrow. They, they need some information. So with the loving deeds, you, you give them some information along the way. It doesn't have to be all in one download. And it, and it can be as... Uh, <laughs> appropriate as what is called for socially in the moment, but you've got to tell them. You've got to put your faith in Christ, and this is who Christ is. He's God in every way. He came down and died on a cross for your sins, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? So it can't just be deeds. It's got to be words, and it cannot just be words, which we're all so good at. And oh, we just want to tell everybody, this is the truth, this is the truth, this is the truth. But if your deeds don't match the character of the message or the one who is sending the message, then what you do is you nullify the credibility of the message. And so if you're a sloppy worker, if you're lazy, please don't share the gospel at work. <laughs> If you don't have your act together and you know that, you need to be quiet <laughs> until you do have, you know, you don't have to be perfect. Uh, but he says, I brought the gospel and then listen, I lived in line of the truth that I was preaching. 
a dishonest, a, a foul-mouthed person, somebody who's sexually immoral, sharing the gospel? Are you kidding me? You're doing more harm than good. You've got to have words and you've got to have deeds. And the deeds have to be uh, in line with the character and nature of the God that you're representing. Amen? Some other things here uh, to see is uh, some powerful signs were done. He's saying that when he came into a place that had no clue, they're worshiping rocks and, and, and sexual immorality and all kinds of things. He said, uh, in order for God, for them to believe the message that they never had heard of, God allowed certain men in certain times uh, to do these powerful signs and wonders of miracles. So that when he goes to Athens and some guy stands up and goes, what's this babbler trying to say? Let me assure you, when Paul casts out a demon from a fortune teller or raises somebody up who has been crippled from birth, it says, and he bounces up and he starts jumping up and down at the command of the apostle Paul in the name of Jesus walk. I'll tell you what, those miracle signs and wonders gave credibility to a message where the church was not founded. There was nothing to, to believe Paul about. And so God enabled not only Paul, but a lot of apostles while the church was being founded while the gospel was being established to do these kinds of powerful things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so speaking about preaching the, the powerful gospel all over the world, in verse 20, he goes on, and we are finishing up here. He says, now it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's in written in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 15, which is, he's saying, my life verse, because it shaped how he lived his life. He's saying, hey, I do what I do because of what I read in Isaiah. Those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've never been to Rome, because you guys already had a church there. But now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, wow, that's crazy. And since I have been longing for many years to see you, <clears throat> I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. There, verses 19 through 24, that's as far as we're getting. Let's finish up here. And so we see all these wonderful things in Paul's life, and we want to put them to practice. And so what's driving this man? What's inspiring him? He has spiritual ambition. Uh, note takers, we see he's always looking forward. And he's thinking, what does God have for me next? You know, he's not running all around uh, necessarily just, you know, randomly. But he, he doesn't let what just happened uh, blind him to what God has in store for him today. 
you know, he told the Philippians, he says, I forget, this one thing I do, I do this a lot, he says, uh, I, I, I forget about what's behind and I press forward to the calling in front of me, right? And this is what he's doing here. So Christians who want to be effective have some spiritual ambition. They're asking themselves, what's next? What, is God, what does God have for me? A lot of Christians today just say, well, what do I, what do I feel like doing next? You know, you know we're going to upgrade and we're going to, yeah, I've got a quote here somewhere that is kind of convicting if I can find it. Maybe God doesn't want you to hear it. The point of it was a lot of Christians are always thinking What's next for me? What's the next purchase? What's the next promotion? What's the next pleasure? Instead of asking God, what, what, what would you like me to do for you? And in that will come a lot of our pleasures, a lot of our promotions, and a lot of our upgrading. He de- tends to do that, but not when we've got the cart before the horse kind of thing. And so we look to him. Paul's like that. And so he says... It's always been my ambition ever since that day. The Lord opened his eyes. You'll remember Acts chapter 9, where Christ appeared to him, and uh, he discovered there is a hell. There's a day of the Lord. It's coming. And he wanted to always let people hear the gospel so they could be rescued from the coming wrath. I just he said, from day one, when I figured out there's a hell, When I figured out that the day of the Lord is coming, which he writes about in other places, and the day of the Lord is from uh, Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation 19, 21 judgments with the earth is laid bare and the end of human history. When he said, when I figured that out, all I wanted to do was grab people and save them and give them the gospel and this is what's inspiring this guy. And he says here, and I figured out, and this is good for you and me, I figured out who I am in Christ. I figured out my gift, my call. And he says, it's always been my ambition and my life first from Isaiah uh, to tell people who don't know anything at all. That's what I'm good at. He goes, I'm good at going into Corinth. There are a bunch of uh, pagan idol worshipers at Corinth. And I went in and I laid a foundation while other people like Timothy and Apollos uh, built on that foundation. First Corinthians chapter three says, Apollos watered what I planted. He goes, you know what? Neither are any big deal because God brings the life. But it's important, Christian. <clears throat> you got to figure out what's my passion? What do I do? What's my unique talent and ability that would bless other people? Because you've got something like that. Everybody's got to figure it out. Paul figured it out. It took him 10 years. He kept going to the Jews because he's a Jew and he loves the Jews. And it's like, come on, man. You're a Jew. Turn with me to Isaiah. And, and they're like, uh, you, you know, he's like, why can't they see? They got like a sheet over their heads, you know? And then the Lord's like, go to the non-Jews. He had to figure out, who did God make me to be? That's Peter's job. Why do I want to keep doing what Peter's called to do? 
He says, I got to learn to be me. And what my task was, was to go where nobody else was. I lay the foundation. People come in. And uh, that's what my thing is. It reminds me of a funny story. We were at a Kenilworth meeting as Calvary Chapel Petaluma, Pastor Jay. I was an associate volunteer. I was sitting on the front row one Sunday morning when we got booted out of Kenilworth for a season, and we were meeting at the fairgrounds. That Sunday morning was wild. It was packed, and people were not happy. They just, you could cut the tension for some reason. And, and after the worship time and after some of the little small talk, I was sitting next to Jay and Jay goes, what is going on? I go, dude, I'm glad I'm not preaching, you know? <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, you're going up for announcements, right? And I go, yeah. And he goes, do that thing you do. <laughs> do what thing I do? He says, do the thing you do. I can't do the thing I do. Uh, when someone asked me to do it, I just do the thing I do because I'm doing it, the thing I do. But don't put so much pressure on me. But do the thing I do. I didn't know what he meant. I kind of knew what he meant, like save us, you know, whatever. So I go up there and I'm like, oh, God help me to do the thing I do. <laughs> and uh, I look out there and there were big circles in, there, in the arena. And it looked like a circus. So I, I get to the mic and I go, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, <laughs> welcome to Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus in, in the center ring. Well, they laughed like it was the funniest thing they've ever heard in their lives, right? And Jay's on the front row sitting right there. And he looks at me and he goes, thank you. <laughs> and I was like, woo, I did the thing I do, you know? <laughs> Listen, I am not him. I used to try to, to make my sermons sound like him. I loved his sermons. I used to listen to them and take notes and try to figure him out. I couldn't do it. I'm not him. And I'm not some other dude at the seminary. I found out through all of these years, it's taken me a long time to figure out. I'm not other people. <laughs> I'm me. You're you. You're you. And you know what? You know what? You're going to have a church where the pastor goes slightly a little bit long. All right? Because guess what? That's me. I can't say anything in 20 minutes. Oh, my word. Unbelievable. We'll be talking afterwards with some bold speeches. You know one there. Yeah, so that's important for you to figure out. Are you good with kids? You good with kids? Children's ministry. Are you, are, are you good helping couples with their marriages? Are, are you good giving? Are you good hosts? You like hospitality? Figure out what you do. God made you to do something. I mean, we need a bass player. <coughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Keyboards too, not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is, Paul figured it out. It took him a while. And figuring out who you are and being who you are with God's grace, it's really important, right? And so he goes on to say, I long I I I, I wanna see you. I've always wanted to go, and the reason why, and they're they're like, oh, he's too good for us. He doesn't come to Rome. And there was an attitude about that. He says, No, I'll tell you why, and I'll even quote a scripture. 
my ministry is like Isaiah said to people who don't have a pastor already, and you guys did. How did the church get to Rome? Do you remember when the church was born in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came, and it says there were Jews visiting from Rome, and they got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went back to Rome, and they started the church in Rome. So Paul's not opposed to going to be some help. He's just, just saying, by and large, I've got a ministry that just goes to desert areas, to the wilderness out there, and preaches Christ where he's not yet named. Let me show you a picture. He says, and I have done that. He says, from Jerusalem to Illyricum. From Jerusalem down here, right? One more, there it is. And the circle is everything you see. All right, so he says, I've been through the Roman Empire. Uh, Illyricum's up here. That's Albania. Albania, all right? He says, in my sphere of influence, listen, because you have a sphere of influence too. He says, I've done the circle. I've completed the circle. God gives everybody a race set before you. Every one of us has ordained race set before us to be who he's called us to be and to impact and to complete ministry in a circle with family, with friends, with coworkers. You've got a circle. You can't compare it to him. I can't compare it to him. I can't compare it to Billy Graham or megachurch guys or theologians who write commentaries. It's who I am, who you are, and your circle. And he says, in my circle, my circle's complete. I've come completely full circle. I've done what I'm supposed to be doing. And since I've completed this whole area, which is amazing, no computers, not much money, no, not much support with a few guys, that's an amazing thing. Uh, D.L. Moody said, you know, uh, the world is yet to see what God could accomplish through one man who's 100% dedicated and committed to him. But when we look back at the Apostle Paul, we get a pretty good idea what God can do. And so, yeah, we can go back to the text. Then he says, from Jerusalem all the way around. And so he says, well, now I want to go to Spain because, uh, you know, the West is not evangelized. So let me go to Spain. And by the way, if you're an American, you can thank the Apostle Paul because America would not be here without the Apostle Paul. It would not exist. No way. If he would have gone right, if he wouldn't have not gone, if he would have gone east instead of west, the west becomes the Christianized west and Europe and plants Canada and Australia and New Zealand and America. This is where we come from, is we come from because he went to Illyricum and he didn't go to Bangladesh. It would have been a different story. And so we thank him for his commitment. And he says, now I want to keep going. I want to go to Spain and I want you to assist me and I want to pass by. The last point I want to make is what, how Paul describes fellowship, something we could learn from. He says, I want to be with you guys and enjoy your company for a while. You know, all work, all day makes Jack a very dull boy, 
all right? No, I don't know where we get our ideas of what's spiritual, right? But to get together to enjoy one another's company over a relaxed meal, over some board games, laughing and telling jokes and goofing off and going to graduations with each other and confiding in one another and being best friends and all of this stuff to enjoy somebody's company is a spiritual virtue. It's koinonia. And yeah, sure, of course they opened the Bible and they had a worship time. But it's not just worship time and Bible and that's it and that's spiritual, right? We can have some fun and enjoy uh, one another's company and this is what his whole point is. And so, well, let's finish up with this. He said, I really hope I can come and see you guys. And guess what? He does, but not in the way he, pre- he thought was gonna happen, right? So he ends up going from, he's riding in Corinth, in Greece. He ends up taking a boat to Jerusalem, drops off the offering, but gets arrested. And now he appeals to Caesar. And after a couple of years, guess what? He's on an all-expense-paid trip to Rome. And guess who's fitting, footing the bill, I should say, is Rome, because it's a prison ship, and he's shackled to a guard. Now, Here's what I want to close with, because we're looking at his life, and we're going to imitate him so that the God of peace can be with us. When life turned right instead of left, and left instead of right, Paul's not resentful, he's not bitter, he doesn't say, you know, I just need to take a break, because I've been through a lot of stuff, all right? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Not that anybody here would ever say that, but listen... He'd been through more stuff than any of us combined. And here's how he handles it. He gets to Rome and he doesn't snivel and say, after all I've done, this is how God treats me. You know what? You know what he does? He says, rejoice, everybody. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And then he says, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, in prayer, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And God's peace that passes knowledge will protect your heart heart. And he says, and I'm just quoting from the letter he wrote in chains in Rome, not bitter, but joyful. And you know what he tells the Philippians? Guess what, you guys? This is really working out. He goes, people in Caesar's household are getting saved. He tells the Philippians. He says, this is a good thing. What other people have meant for harm and bad, God is using for good. That's an attitude. Whatever things you see and hear and learn from him, put it into practice. That's how you're going to get the God of peace to draw near to you. Not by whining and getting confused and I'm a little frustrated and a whoa, that turn really took me by surprise. They closed the high school. So now we're going to tear apart the elders and the pastors who made the decision. We're going to criticize them and cause division. Or are we going to come under and trust that these are men of God who have made a decision that need to be prayed for and respected and protected their reputations if we follow the Apostle Paul in an attitude that just is for God, whether things go right 
whether things go bad, whether they go right or left, he's in it and he's laying down his life. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, thank you for the example of Christ who's in Paul, who's letting Christ shine so that we can imitate Christ through his efforts. And we pray that you continue, Lord, to just grant us the wisdom to walk with you, to learn from this great committed Christian how to please you in all of our ways. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.